Man, if you're, if you're in sixth grade or below, would you raise your hand? Sixth grade or below? Man, we got them all throughout. It's good to have y'all hanging out with us this morning in here. It's good to have you um, worshiping. Here's the thing. The reason that we celebrate Easter, the reason we get so excited about Easter, is because everything that we believe hinges on this event. And with every other world religion, they, they believe in a philosophy, they believe in a moral code, they maybe a teacher, a book. Christianity is set apart because we, everything that we believe, everything, hinges not really even on a person. I mean, Jesus, yes, but it's because of this event that Jesus rose from the grave. That is why we celebrate. That's why we get excited about this morning. Because everything that we believe, Hinges on the tomb being empty. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to take just a couple minutes, a few minutes, and share with you the backstory of Easter. We all know the primary story. Uh, but, but I want to share with you the backstory. And basically, what the backstory is, is it is it props up or helps the primary storyline. Every story has one. Every story has a backstory. And the Easter story is no different. There's a storyline, the primary one, but there's one going on in the background that many times we don't ever talk about. And it really hinges or really centers around one guy, a guy who was a Pharisee, a guy who was a part of the Sanhedrin, a guy who was well thought of, wealthy, many people looked up to him. He had great influence in first century Judaism, in first century Palestine. It's a guy by the name of Nicodemus. And this story really actually begins about three years before Jesus ever is crucified. It happens at at the beginning of his ministry. And here's the story, the backstory of Easter. And one guy named Nicodemus. Jesus had just started his ministry not too long before. And the Pharisees hated him already. Here's why they hated him. Because there were a lot of people that followed him. A lot of people that were interested in the the, the sermons that he preached. preached, The stories that he told. The the miracles that he performed. The people that he healed. The sick and the lame who were well after coming in contact with this man named Jesus. And the, the Pharisees were losing influence over the crowds. Jesus didn't listen to their commands. He didn't obey all of their rules. And this made them furious. And they didn't like it. Except for this one man named Nicodemus. And a small group of people that were around him. They saw what Jesus taught. They saw the miracles that he performed. They saw the things that he did. And they thought, maybe, just maybe, this is the guy we've been waiting for. This is the one who has come from God. Maybe, just maybe, this is the Messiah. And so, Nicodemus and the small group of people that thought that maybe this small group of people from the the, uh, Sanhedrin, from the Pharisees, they, they got together and they said, hey, we need to find out if he is the one that we've been waiting for. We need to find out if he is who we think he may be. So we need to send a representative, we need to send a person to have a conversation with Jesus and to have the questions that we have answered to find out if he is who we think he might be. So we need to send somebody to, co- to have a conversation, to, to talk to him, to get, our, to get these answers for us. Well, we don't know how, we don't know if they drew 
up straws or, or what. But nonetheless, Nicodemus becomes the spokesperson for this small group of people. He is, he is the one who's going to represent this small group of people to Jesus to have their questions answered. And that's where we pick up the story in John chapter 3, the backstory of Easter. Here's what it says. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says this, maybe. Let me just read it from my Bible. Here's what it says. It says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And basically what that means is he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was important. He was like a senator. Very influential, very wealthy. This man came to Jesus by night. Because he didn't want the rest of the Pharisees to know that he had an interest in this man named Jesus. He didn't want the rest of the Pharisees to know that they that, that he thought that maybe, just maybe, this guy was the Messiah. So he came at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs unless, or that you do, unless God is with him. So, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, hey, I want to have a conversation. And he offers kind of a big leaf, a, a goodwill offering. He says, hey, I know all the Pharisees hate you. I know nobody likes you. They, they, they don't like that you don't obey the, the rules. They know that you teach something that's different, that you don't listen to us. I know the Pharisees hate you, but there's a small group of us that I'm here to represent. There's a small group of us that think that you might be the Messiah. That you might be from God. Because here's how we know that. Nobody can do the miracles that you do if they if, if you didn't if God didn't send you. And so we're not trying to trick you, we're not trying to put you in a corner. I we really legitimately want to know if you are the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. That's why I want to have this meeting. And that's why I want to have some questions answered by you. To find out if you are the one that we think you may be. But before you can get out any questions, Jesus says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. To which Nicodemus must have gone, how did you know? Wait, 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 just a minute, Jesus. I haven't even asked the question yet, and you've already answered it. And here's the question that Nicodemus, had he been given the opportunity, would have asked. It's a, it's a question that, that all the Pharisees, all the Sadducees, all the common men in first century would have wanted to know. It's the question that, that every person throughout the centuries has asked at some point in their life. And dare I even say, it's a question that every person in this room has asked at some point in the past, maybe currently exploring, or will ask at some point in the future. Here's the question that Jesus answered before Nicodemus could ask, and the question that you and I, at some point in our lives, will ask or have asked as well, and it's this. How can I know for sure? How can I know for sure that I have a right standing with God? 
How can I know for sure that when this life ends, at whatever point that is, maybe it's today, maybe it's years into the future, but how can I know for sure that when this life ends, that I have a right standing with God? That God and I are on good terms. That, that after this life, I'm not sure what it is, but how do I know that after this life, whatever it may be, it is good for me? How can I know for sure that I have a right standing with God? Every person, because we were wired that way, wants to know the answer to that question. And this Pharisee in, first, in the first century was no different. How can I know for sure that I have a right standing with God? Here's what he thought. Maybe it's something that you've thought as well. He thought, Nicodemus thought that if you behave yourself, you behave well, you could behave yourself into a right standing with God. That God is almost like Santa Claus or he's a principal and he has this fiddle pad and he's constantly keeping track of all the good things you do and all the bad things you do. And at the, at the end of your life, you're just on the, on the good half of humanity. Maybe, just maybe, he'll let you in. That's what Nicodemus grew up being taught. That's what he thought it took to have a right standing with God. And that's why he was a Pharisee. Because after all, his job was being good. You ask a Pharisee, what's your job? They'll tell you, it's to be good, and I'm good at being good. Because after all, I can behave myself into heaven as long as I'm on the 50% Good, stop. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe that's, you, you have come in and your paradigm, your belief is, I can have a right standing with God by just being good. If I just have more good deeds than bad deeds, then God will let me in. Whatever, whatever it is after this, I'm not sure, but whatever it is, maybe, just maybe God will let me in to wherever he is. I can have a right standing. With God. And Jesus, when he's confronted by Nicodemus, blows up that paradigm. He shifts it completely. When he answers the question before Nicodemus can ever even ask it, when he says in verse 3, Truly I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus responds the same way you and I would respond. Verse 4, he says this, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And we can't even think about that for very long, because that's just gross. But... But he's wondering what you and I are wondering. Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? Born again? I mean, what? I, I get the whole firstborn thing. I get that, but, but I'm an adult now. What are you talking about? Born again. And so I think he probably said it with a smile on his face. Almost like tongue in cheek. What are you talking about, man? Jesus answers. Explains what he means about being born again. In verse 5, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel 
that I have said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying this. Everybody who is alive was born. And when you were born, you were born in in a physical or with a physical body. And somebody, your mom, who had a physical body, gave birth to you with a physical body. That's not, uh, you know, that's basic. And Nicodemus was following him. Everybody understands that. But Jesus then says, so it is with our spiritual lives. God is spirit. And if you want to have a right standing with God, you have to be born like God, of a spiritual birth, with a spiritual birth, with a spiritual life. So just as God is spirit, so you must be born with a new spirit, with a new spiritual life. Flesh gives birth to flesh. We're following that. But if you want to have a right standing with God, He who is spirit, if you have a right standing with Him, you must also be born with a new spiritual life. Jesus goes on to explain exactly what that means, and I am grateful that He did. Nicodemus responds how you and I would respond. How can these things be? What are you talking about? Jump down to verse 13, and Jesus answers. He says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven to, or except for he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So here's what Jesus is saying. The reason I have authority to tell you what it takes to have a right standing with God is because I came from heaven. I came from where God is. And I have descended down to earth. My roots are in heaven. And so because that's where I came from, I have the authority to tell you what it takes to have a right standing with God. I have the authority to tell you what it takes to know God, to make sure that you are good with God. I'm the one who has the authority to do that because that's where I came from. And then he says something that would have made Nicodemus very uncomfortable. He claimed something that, if not true, was blasphemous. He said this. Except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And Nicodemus knew exactly what that meant. That Jesus was claiming to come directly from God. And as you and I know, if you are regular in, in Bible study, you know that means he equated himself equal with God. This would have made Nicodemus very uncomfortable. But before he can get clarification, before he can ask any questions, Jesus continues to talk. Look at the next verse. He says this, And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, um, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, Nicodemus understood what Jesus was talking about. Let me quickly explain the story so you know what Jesus is referencing. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel were in bondage under Pharaoh in Egypt. Moses shows up on the scene and delivers them out of, of bondage. 
They're out in the wilderness, and one particular night, they're, they're camping out, they've got fires started, they've got all their, their tents set up, they're hanging out, probably somebody's got the guitar out, they're singing around the campfire, and after the night is over, they go into their tents to go to sleep for the evening. When they get into the tents, tents the Bible tells us that snakes, venomous snakes, are everywhere. They're coming out of the covers. They're coming out of the sleeping bag. They're, they're falling through the top of the tent. They're sliding in the front door of the tent. And they're biting people. And these little bit of mistakes are biting a lot of people. They're, in, they're, they're uh, sick. They're in pain. And so a couple of those uh, people amongst the, the Israelites run to Moses and say, Hey, bud, you got us into this mess. you got to get us out. Moses goes to God and says, God, what am I supposed to do? God says, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build a pole. And at the top of the pole, I want you to place a snake. And every person who was bit by the snake, every person who's been attacked by the snake, if if they will just look up at the, the snake at the top of the pole, they will be healed. Now, I think we can all agree that's pretty weird. But when you're in that predicament... You'll try anything. And so that's what the Israelites did. They built this pole, they put the snake at the top, and indeed, every person who had been bit by the snake, snakes, who looked at the, the snake at the top of the pole, was healed. And Jesus said that much like that happened, when it comes to me, the same thing is going to unfold. I'm going to be lifted up, just like the snake was lifted up on the pole. And just as everybody who was bit by the snake was healed, so it is with everybody who has been infected and affected by sin. If they will simply look to me when I am lifted up, they too can be healed of their sin disease. Now undoubtedly, Nicodemus had no idea what Jesus was talking about. And then Jesus explains in the last verse, in verse 15, what he meant by being born again. He says this, that whoever believes, to which Nicodemus, as I mentioned before, would have said, wait, wait, No, 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 it's not about who believes, it's about who behaves. Jesus said, no, it's not about behavior. You cannot be that good, and none of us can be that good. Nicodemus, you, Scott, you, and any person in here, you are not that good. You cannot behave yourself into heaven. No, you have to believe. Well, what do you have to believe? Jesus really tells us. You have to believe in him. So that you may have. Eternal life. Well, Jesus' ministry continues to unfold for the next couple years, two, three years. And the crowds get bigger and bigger and bigger. And Jesus performs more and more and more miracles. And his teachings go wider and wider to more and more and more people. And all the while, the Pharisees are getting angrier and angrier and angrier until finally it comes to a head. Jesus 
raises his friend Lazarus from the dead, and the crowds are going wild. They cannot get enough of Jesus. And the Sanhedrin, this group that Nicodemus is a part of, said, we have got to squash this movement. We've got to get rid of this man. We have to have him arrested, and we need to make sure he is killed. So they had to plan, and you know what the plan is. They recruit this guy, Judas. They don't have to do much recruiting. He willingly sells Jesus, uh, becomes a traitor, and sells Jesus' life for 30 pieces of silver. They hatch this plan, Judas leads the temple guard to where Jesus is located in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas gives him a kiss. The temple guard arrests him and takes him back to the high priest's house, Caiaphas' house. And there he is illegally tried and convicted. Well, the Israelites don't have the power to kill anybody, so they have to transfer him to the Roman Empire to a Roman official. And they send him to, to Pilate, and Pilate uh, trades him back and forth throughout the night in illegal trials as well. And after the trials are over, after the questioning's over, Pilate stands out on, on, on the porch, overlooking the mob, overlooking the crowds, and said, Look, guys, I have questioned him, and I cannot find any fault in him. He is guiltless. He hasn't committed any crimes. And the crowd begins to yell. No, we want him to be crucified. We want him to be dead. We want him crucified. Pilate doesn't know what to do. So he he decides, you know what? Maybe I can appease this crowd. I'll just send him to be flogged. And you know, a few years ago, Mel Gibson did a pretty good job of, of, of showing, depicting what that looked like. After he's flogged, they bring him back. Pilate says, guys, I beat him within an inch of his life. He has, I have found no fault in him. Let, I'm going to let him go. He must be let go. And the crowd begins to yell, no, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. We pick up the story in 19, John 19. They said, away with him, away with him, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? He's, he's, he's guiltless. Your king is guiltless. He's done nothing wrong. Why do you want him to be crucified? The high priest shouted, We have no king but Caesar. This was a blasphemous statement for a Jewish man to say. At this point, Pilate really has no choice. The crowd has pitted Jesus against Caesar, and that's no match at all. Jesus must now be delivered over to be crucified. So they delivered him over to, be, uh, to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. And Pilate, you know the story, washes his hands and says, I'm, I'm not a part of this. If you want him to be crucified, you do it yourself. Jesus takes part of the cross and he walks down the street up to Golgotha, the place of the skull, Mount Calvary. And in my mind's eye, I can only imagine that this guy, Nicodemus, and a small group of people who knew about this plot all along and yet did nothing to stop it, are wondering, how did it get so out of control? How did it come to this? 
How did this man that we are almost convinced of, we think he just may be the Messiah, the one that we're waiting for, how did it come to this? They get up to Mount Calvary, and Jesus, along with the, the thieves, one on his right and one on his left, are laid down. They stretch out his arms, and the hammer hits the nail over and over again as these three men are crucified. And Nicodemus and this small group of Pharisees are standing in my mind's eye at the back of the crowd, and they, crowd, and they hear this, the hammers hit the nails, and they hear these three men yelling and writhing in pain until finally they've been nailed to the cross. And in my mind's eye, Nicodemus is standing at the back, over, looking over the tops of all of these heads as the cross is lifted up to perpendicular. And Nicodemus sees the top of Jesus' head. And then he sees Jesus' face. And then he sees Jesus' neck. And then as the cross falls into place, he sees Jesus' arms stretched out. And he undoubtedly remembers to a few years ago in the conversation that he had with Jesus. That's it. This is it. This is what he's talk, he was talking about. He knew this was going to happen all along. He knew it would come to this. Remember in John chapter 3 what Jesus said. If we have it. Jesus said this. He said, just as the, the, the snake is lifted up, so I am going to be lifted up as well. The Son of Man will be lifted up. And whoever looks on him, whoever believes in him, that person can have a right standing with God. Just as the Israelites looked at that snake when it was raised up and they were healed, so it is with me. Every person that has a sin problem, they can look on me, and if they will believe in me, the one who's raised up, they can have a right standing with God. And I'm certain Nicodemus at the back of the crowd realized this is it. This is what he Predicted. All along. Well, now the story begins to pick up steam. Nicodemus and his, his friend, Joseph of Arimathea, who's a part of this small group, they run to Pilate and they say, hey, can, I have his, can we have his body? Pilate, the body, or the Bible tells us that he's surprised that Jesus is already dead. Usually they'll, they'll hang for days. But Jesus, in a few short hours, probably long hours, has died. Pilate grants their request. They run back very quickly and they take Jesus off of the cross and they begin to prepare his body for burial. They put spices, about 75 pounds worth of spices, so the stench of death is not apparent very quickly. They put it over his body and then they wrap him up very, very quickly before the sun goes down, before Passover arrives, and they place him in the tomb. The tomb that's owned by Joseph of Arimathea, the one who was helped. The Bible tells us that they roll the stone in front of the, the opening and they seal it. And these, uh, this, this small group of, of uh, Pharisees, with all of their questions and all of their, 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 their confusion, in the midst of all of their confusion, know two things. Number one, this guy was who he claimed to be. And number two, 
We're not going to get any of our questions answered on this side of eternity. We're not going to get any of our questions answered in this life. Why? Because he is dead. and He's never coming back. Fast forward to Sunday morning. The sun begins to rise. And the Bible tells us that Mary and Martha and a group of women, they gather some spices to prepare the, the body, the body of Jesus for burial. Now, Women, you understand this. The reason that they prepared the body, they, they, they got spices to prepare the body for burial is because they knew that two men were responsible for it on Friday. And they probably didn't do it right. No, and they knew how quick they had to prepare it, and they wanted to make sure that their Savior was buried properly. They arrive at the tomb, and the Bible says that when they got there, They expected to see Jesus risen from the grave. No, that's not what it says. Over and over and over again. Four different writers. Over and over and over again. They go to great leaps to tell us that nobody expected this. They arrive at the tomb. And the women look inside. They, they, they arrive and they see that the, to- the stone has been rolled away. And that, that, that perplexes them. They don't know what's going on. And then they, they peer into the tomb. They look into the tomb. And they realize that there's no body there. And the first person to say anything is Mary. And she says this. Who stole the body? Who stole the body? Well, they run back and they get John and Peter Some of the disciples, they run, they arrive, and they look in there, and they think that the body's been stolen as well. Nobody expected it. When they come out of the tomb, Jesus is waiting there. And he says this. I told you it was going to happen. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And now you know the backstory of Easter. This morning, still comes. Maybe you thought that you could... Behave your way into heaven. And this morning, Jesus has changed the paradigm for you. You can never be that good. This morning, I invite you to believe in the one who was hung, died, buried, and rose again three days later. After the service, I'm going to be standing up here. You're more than welcome to come. I would encourage you. I would love nothing more and to share with you a little bit more what it means to believe in Him, who's the Son of God. If you know Christ this morning, we're going to sing here in just a second, and I want you to celebrate. This changes everything. This day, 2,000 years ago. Because Jesus is alive, and has verified all that He taught, all that He said about Himself. When Jesus walked out of the tomb, He verified those claims. So you and I, sinful human beings, can know for certain that that we have a right standing with God. That's what we're celebrating this morning. So let's stand. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing. And we're going to celebrate that truth. Let's pray. Father, this morning... Lord, if there's people that, that they don't exactly understand, maybe they're like Nicodemus, they thought they could just behave their way into heaven, if they were just good enough, that they could have a right standing with God. Lord, if that's them today, I pray that they would not leave here without 
believing in the one who died, was buried, and rose again. And in doing so, just as you said, they're born again. Lord, for those that have been born again, they believed in the one who was crucified, buried, and rose again. Lord, I pray that we would celebrate this Sunday is a reminder of that, that it would be a lifelong celebration that we have been given a right standing with God. For your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name. Amen.